you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. All righty. Well, good uh, morning. Um, as uh, you've heard, my name is Daniel, and I'll go ahead and get the elephant out of the room. My voice sounds exactly like David's. Sorry about that. Uh, it's going to trip you out, I'm sure. Um, I'm going to move this out of the way. That's okay. I can't see you guys. Um, so, but I am David's uh, little brother, believe it or not, um, but if you want to talk to the cooler, smarter brother, there you go. Um, now, honestly, um, I'm, I'm honored uh, to be here. Uh, my wife, Kristen, and I have, have, been, uh, have known about Victory Church for about, I guess, two, a little over two years now, um, uh, when, whenever my dad was here as interim, and then uh, as my brother uh, ended up coming here. And so my wife and I have been praying for you and, and known about you. We've been able to meet you a little bit. Um, and so I, I'm just thrilled, honestly, to be able to open God's Word with you. So uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 17. We won't get there right now, but one, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 17, you can turn there if you want. Um, but uh, we're going to take a short break from the series you guys have been in, I think, for two weeks now, maybe. Um, I know, like I, uh, maybe I think David said, I, I serve at a church in Rocky Mount. So Rocky Mount is about three, maybe four hours uh, east of here. And uh, one thing I've noticed as I've lived in Rocky Mount is that people are always wanting to go to the next big thing. Um, so, so for example, maybe it's a restaurant or I think more so it's even something like a coffee shop. So uh, for example, for a long time in Rocky Mount, the only coffee shop was Dunkin' Donuts, which is not exactly a coffee shop. Um, but then uh, suddenly this new kid rolled onto the block. It was called Tracks. It was kind of this hipster place that people all wanted to go to. And they had kind of moved past Dunkin' Donuts. But then, of course, the cool kid came into school, you know, Starbucks. They moved into our city. And now it's as if those places, like, nobody cares about them. Everyone's just spending, I guess, all of their money at Starbucks, right? But I don't think that's just Rocky Mountain. I think that's just like being a human, right? Like we just like moving on to the next big thing. Maybe, for example, maybe you're an NBA fan, and you know for a long time the Cleveland Cavaliers have been a, a huge team. But then LeBron has switched over to the Lakers, so people have traded in their, their jerseys, and now they're Lakers fans. Suddenly, people go on to the next big thing. I think that's why you and I, if we're honest with each other, we kind of latch on to one-hit wonders, Right? You know, like, you know, those songs that you just, you, they're classics. They always come back and you always love it. Like, for example, anybody here remember the YMCA? Everyone knows that song, right? If I can be honest with you so we can get to know each other a little bit this morning, I am probably the epitome of, of white man can't dance. So whenever, but, but, but whenever the YMCA comes on, I got that one. Like, I feel pretty good about that one. All right, all right, be honest. Um, uh, or maybe the Macarena. Sadly, none of us probably know what they're saying. But, man, I, I love the song, right? Um, or, you know, you 80s lovers, I don't want to forget you. Ice, ice, baby, right? Yeah, preach, right? There we go. Uh, or, hey, us millennials, I don't want to leave us out either. You have, of course, All Star by, uh, by Smash Mouth, the Who Let the Dogs Out by the Baja Men, right? Or, or even, even some YouTube classics, right? Or it's funny that they're calling them classics now, but even say like, uh, what does the fox say or Gangnam Style, whatever it might be, these one-hit wonders, right? That we, they just get stuck in our head and they, they just kind of invade everything about our culture. But even those songs, 
we get a little tired of them after a while, right? Like, you can only listen to Who Let the Dogs Out maybe 47 times, and then you kind of want to go on to a different one, right? This is actually exactly what was going on in the city of Corinth. Again, we're in 1 Corinthians, and so here Paul is talking to the city, the, the church at Corinth. And so Paul rolled in, what he, and he did what really he always did. He came in as an apostle, and he went to a new city to be able to live there, work there, and share the gospel. As he did that, the gospel, this message, this one-hit wonder, if you will, started changing lives. In fact, it started impacting everything about people and about culture and just invading every square inch of life. And so what happened was people started centering their lives on this gospel. And so as Paul raised up just these new believers, he, would, he also raised up a church, leaders, pastors, elders, and then deacons, and, and raised them up. And then what he would do is then he went on to a next city, and, and then to another city, and to another city. So Paul was there for about a year and a half, and after he left, he raised up these leaders and did just that. He, he left. But something happened to these people. These people who were once really defined by the gospel, whose lives were changed by it, they couldn't get enough of this one-hit wonder that Paul had of the gospel. And by the way, if you're wondering, what, what is the gospel? Maybe you've heard that term thrown around in church, or you just want, maybe someone asks you, what is the gospel? It's really this simple. The gospel in four words is Jesus in my place. Again, that's the gospel, Jesus in my place. And so here, Paul is preaching this message, and people are loving it, and their lives are getting changed, and they can't get enough of it. But then Paul leaves, and something starts to change. You see, for us today, uh, you know, how we, like, experience entertainment and stuff, it's like uh, maybe, us, maybe we would uh, binge on Netflix. Maybe you're watching This Is Us on Hulu trying to get caught up. Maybe it's you're going to be watching sports. You're going to be watching the World Series as it's about to start up. Maybe it's that you read books or maybe that you, uh, maybe that you exercise. Whatever it is, we have different forms of entertainment today, right? But there in Corinth, what they really found as entertaining was they would listen to different speakers. That, you know, they didn't have Netflix, but they would hear what people had to say about things. And they didn't really care so much about, like, say, the content of what was being said, but more about how it was being said, about how their style was and how, what, how flashy their presentation was. That's what marked them as a, as a good speaker, as entertaining. And so after Paul left and they were obsessed over they were centered on this gospel message of Jesus in my place, they lost sight of this message. In fact, what happened was it wasn't so much about the, the message anymore, but really more about the messenger. They cared more about what people were saying, excuse me, had and how they said it rather than the actual message itself. So what happens is they, they slid from being centered on the gospel, gospel-centered, and they went to being gospel-assuming. Well, sure, they're, they're still Christians, yeah, of course, but it's not really informing their daily lives anymore. And when that happens, sin started to creep in to this church that was once centered on the gospel. And if you've ever read 1 Corinthians, that church is just a complete mess. Like, sexual sin is just running rampant everywhere. And they're just dividing over and arguing over just the most ridiculous things. Not even that, but get, get this. People are even getting drunk during communion. Like, this church is really jacked up. And, and not just that. They, they view their spiritual gifts as like, hey, well, that must mean I'm more spiritual because I have these spiritual gifts. And they were at a crossroads at that point. Where again, they were once centered on this gospel message and had now slidden to where they were now assuming the gospel, or where it wasn't informing their daily lives. And friends, that's really where you and I can land so easily. You know, theologians have said that the heart is an idol factory. 
that our hearts are constantly making up these gods, pulling us away from the one true God, pulling us away from this gospel message. And so when that happens, sin begins to run rampant in our lives. And when that happens, we can be at a crossroads just like the church at Corinth, where our lives aren't being informed by the gospel, rather we're assuming it. And what could happen easily, more easily than we know, is we could even slide to being a gospel-denying people. With the truths that we once held so dearly that we're literally changing our lives, well, we just wonder if they're even true anymore. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, there's an entire chapter about the very resurrection of Christ, which is really the centerpiece of the gospel. And so, friends, this is why you and I need to look at 1 Corinthians today. Because it's really easy to be able to slide away from being centered on this gospel. This gospel that's literally the power of God unto salvation, Paul's going to say. And so what we need is to be able to be reminded of what is this gospel. Why do we need to be centered on it? And what does it look like? What's the fruit of a life that's actually centered on the gospel? So friends, let's pray and we'll dive in and see simply our big idea that Christians are centered on the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. How you've given us, uh, just been able to bring us together. I pray today that through your spirit you would lift Jesus high through the preaching of your word. I pray that you would empower me, a sinner, to, to be able to, to preach your gospel. That you would perform a miracle even of salvation here, causing sinners to repent and believe the gospel for the first time. For, for the saints in the room, God, that you would cause us to repent and, and continue it to center our lives on you. Father, I, I thank you for Pastor Jerry at Grace Community Church, how you have used him to mentor me, how you've used him to mentor my brother, how you've used that church to be able to help support even Victory Church. God, I pray for Pastor Jerry as well, that you would empower him to preach your gospel this morning, and that you would perform a miracle of salvation there and here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 17. What happened here, just to catch you up just a little bit, is Paul just said, you guys are obsessed with who is your favorite preacher. Like, you know, I follow Paul, someone says. Someone else says, well, I follow Apollos. And then you have this goody two-shoes that nobody likes that says, well, I, I follow Jesus personally. And nobody likes that guy. But then what happens is Paul says, man, it doesn't matter who's preaching. It doesn't even matter who baptized you. In fact, this is what matters, the gospel, verse 17. For Christ didn't send me, this is Paul talking, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, not with the best style, not with the best presentation, unless the cross of Christ would be emptied of its power. Now there at the very end, you saw that unless the cross of Christ. Now throughout this passage, Paul's going to say things like the cross of Christ, the word of the cross, the gospel, the testimony, and all these things are simply the gospel. And what is the gospel? It's Jesus in my place. So all these things, he's talking about the same thing, and he says this, the gospel is what matters. The gospel is what unites us. The gospel is what we're centered on. And this gospel, well, it's powerful. So let's look at this gospel, and let's see what Paul has to tell us about it. Check out verse 18. He says this, for the word of the cross. Remember the gospel? It is folly. It's silly. It's stupid. It's dumb to those who are perishing. Now, time out. Who is he talking about here? Who are the perishing? 
Well, it's who Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, isn't it? When he says that you were dead in your sins. It's again Paul who talks about in Romans chapter 5 who says you were enemies of God. In Romans chapter 6, he says those who were slaves to sin. Just to put it real simply, he's saying those who aren't Christians, those who aren't yet believers, those who have not yet repented of their sin and trusted in Christ. He describes them as dying. Now, if, if you're like me, you probably are tempted to kind of skip past Scripture, especially if you've maybe read parts of it before. But, and you might say, well, okay, he says it's folly to those who are perishing. Got it. Keep going. Well, do you really believe that, though? Like, think back, for example. Whenever you first got excited about things of the Bible, like whenever that was for you, and maybe you've never hit that moment here yet before, but maybe, maybe imagine that you, you did, and you, you want to know, what, well, what's this God thing about? Who is Jesus? And so what you probably do is you hear, well, Christians believe that this Bible is, is authoritative, that it's God's actual word, and that it's powerful, and it's, it, it speaks to everything that we, we need for godliness and salvation. Man, what, what, what does it have to say? It's relevant for me. What, what does it have to say? So you might start at the, the beginning of the book, right? And so you look, and you get to page three of this relevant book for you, and suddenly there's a talking snake. Like, that's kind of weird, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I'm not, I'm not speaking parcel tongue on a regular basis. And yet, Christians believe that that happened. Like, that, that's kind of silly, right? But even think forward. Think forward with uh, maybe like Jonah, one of the prophets, right? Christians believe that a dude was swallowed by a big old fish and that he lived inside of it for three days and was spit out, lived to talk about it, and even preached a sermon afterwards. You guys like that? Come on, <laughs> that's kind of nuts, right? Yet we believe that. But here's the deal. When Paul's saying that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, he's not talking really about those things. He's talking about the gospel. Now, now that why is that folly? Well, think back. What is the gospel? The gospel, it really kind of starts back that hundreds, even thousands of years ago, it was prophesied, it was promised that a Messiah King, a Savior would come and save God's people. And so what Christians believe is that a man named Jesus came, God himself, and was born of a virgin. Because <laughs> that happens, right? I mean, I don't have kids yet, but at least my wife and I are pretty sure that's not how it works. We'll see. But that's what Christians believe, right? But it doesn't, like, that's not really the silly thing about it, right? It's that Christians believe that the gospel is that Jesus came and lived the life we couldn't live. Meaning this, that he was perfect, that he was sinless. And, like, I, I don't know about you, but I can't go a day without sinning. Like, I've already sinned today. I've already had selfish thoughts that I've been like, man, how in the world did that creep up? And, and so whatever it is for you, whether it's lust or anger or pride or coveting, like we, we struggle with sin, don't we? Like let's, let's be honest. And it, it, we can't even help but to do it. Even, even if you're Christians, like, yeah, you're becoming more like Christ, but we, we still struggle, right? And yet Christians believe that Jesus came and lived the life that we couldn't live. But not just that. We believe that Jesus came and lived the life we couldn't live but that he died the death that we deserve. Meaning this, that when you and I do sin, because we just said, yeah, we struggle with sin, that it's not just some bad thing. It's not just like, oh, I, sh I shouldn't have done that. No, 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 it, it, it's like this. 
that when we are sinning, we are sinning against a good and holy God. A good and holy king of literally the universe. And so when you and I sin, it's not just a bad thing, but it's what theologians have called cosmic treason. That we are saying, you are the king, but actually I think that I'm the king. You're God, but you know what? I think my way is better, actually. And so when we sin, who are we sinning against? We are sinning against an infinite king of the universe. And so when we commit treason against him, well, we owe an infinite debt. And I don't know about you, but I ain't infinite. Like, I have to sleep. I have to eat. I sin all the time. I'm a finite creature, and there is no way, there ain't no way that you can pay an infinite debt. And so that's the problem, isn't it? But yet, Christians believe that Jesus came and lived the life we couldn't live and died the death that we deserve. That literally, in Jesus' work in our place, that Jesus came and took our place on the cross, taking our payment as God himself, living the perfect life we couldn't live, put our sin on himself and gave us his righteousness. And not just that he died for us, but the craziest thing, really, is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus walked out of the grave three days later. And the reason why that is so important to Christians, why that is so essential to the gospel, is because when Jesus walked out of the grave, he was the receipt that his payment to God the Father for your sins that you could never pay was good. And that for all who repent and believe, anyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus alone, that salvation is applied to them in full. Friends, that's the gospel, but here is the deal. That's not just silly, but it's, it's actually just offensive. Because it's one thing to say, okay, maybe some guy lived perfectly and maybe he died. But that he rose again and that anyone who repents and believes will be spiritually raised up, but one day they too will be physically raised like Jesus, that's just downright offensive, isn't it? Because, like, let's be straight with each other. Every single person in this room has experienced death on some level. Whether it's that family pet when you were a little kid, or whether it was someone like my grandparents or my aunts and uncles, one day my, my, my siblings, one day my parents. Maybe it's your, your parent. Whoever it is, we, everyone in this room has experienced death. And it's hard 100% of the time. Yet Christians have the audacity to say that because of Jesus, we don't have to mourn without hope. So to, to those who are perishing, to those who are not in Christ, this gospel is just dumb. But Paul keeps going, doesn't he? He says, but to us who are being saved, that's really important there, it, the gospel, it is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Paul says this, Man, for those who are being saved, 
Because, you know, salvation, it's not just this one moment where you realize the gospel and repent and believe the gospel. Yes, it is, in fact, that. But it's not just that, is it? No, it's that you were saved, that you are being saved. You are being made more and more and more like Jesus. And that one day you will be like Jesus. You will be with Jesus. One day you will be saved. Past tense, present ongoing, and future tense. That this gospel literally is the center of everything about your life. That it literally doesn't have one square inch that it's not going to touch in your life. That this gospel is literally the center of everything. And that it's that because it's the power of God. So there's people in this room that they would not say this gospel is not folly. This gospel is literally changing my life. There's people in this room. I, I don't know too many of you that well. But I know already through talking through some of you and hearing stories about you and being able to rejoice in what God is doing. There's people in this room that at, at one point were, were addicts, were, were struggling against addictions. But now they're fighting against that because of what Christ has done in freeing them. And they're now trying to raise their kids to love Jesus. That's the power of God, isn't it? There's people in this room who, who you know, at one point were, were unfaithful to their spouses but because of what Jesus has done for them and how they see that Christ loves the church, now they are faithful to their spouses. That's the power of God, isn't it? And not just that. There are people in this room who have struggled or, or, are, or are struggling to find out, who am I? Like, where's my place in this world? What am I supposed to do with myself and who am I? And yet they found their identity in songs we were just singing in Jesus himself. Like, the, the gospel actually does change your life, you know? Like, if not, then maybe you actually haven't seen the gospel. And so, friends, this foolish message, it's actually a powerful message. And Paul's going to keep telling us a little more about this foolish message. Check out verse 20. Paul says, where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? You know, the people who were supposed to tell you exactly how God was supposed to do things? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world didn't know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly, the foolishness, the stupidity of what we preach to save those who believe. Now check out verse 22. This is super important here. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, the gospel. Jews demand signs, but it's a stumbling block to them. And Greeks, uh, Gentiles, they seek wisdom, and it's folly to them. Paul's going to tell you and me about something. That before we were in Christ, as we're perishing, remember the words he just used in verse 18? That as we're perishing, there's two common ways of viewing Jesus. In fact, most people are looking for two different types of Jesus, and neither of them are the actual Jesus. He's going to tell us what they are. The, the first one, and they'll be on the screen for you. The first way of viewing Jesus is, is like the Jews. That they were looking for, you know, I'm looking for a Jesus who gives me my best life now. That's really, just to just boil it down for you, what they were looking for. They were looking for a, a promised Messiah King who would come as King, destroying their enemies, raising up as a leader then, restoring Israel and restoring them, God's people, back where they were supposed to be. And yet Jesus came as a suffering servant who served his enemies, loved his enemies, and even died for them. 
Like that just blew their mind. It was a stumbling block to them. What in the world is this? This can't be Jesus. This is not the Jesus I'm looking for. And before we feel too like good about ourselves, that well, at least I'm not like them. Like, ain't that what we're normally looking forward to? Like a Jesus who gives me my best life now. A Jesus who makes every day feel like a Friday, right? Maybe, for example, you, you want a Jesus who, yeah, sure, he, he cleans me up. I know I'm not perfect, but he makes my life a little better. He makes my life even a little easier because now I follow Jesus, right? You know, now I have a nice house, a white picket fence, and great kids, and a great spouse who love me. Like, that, that's what my Jesus does for me. Occasionally, he, he challenges me, but that's who my Jesus is. But that's not the Jesus of the gospel we just looked at, is it? But there's a second way that people typically look at, at, at Jesus, who are the uh, Jesus they're looking for. And it's what the, the Gentiles, the Greeks, were looking for. And it's this. It's, it's like this. I, I want a Jesus who makes sense to me in every way. I want a Jesus who makes sense to me. And it's kind of what we've already talked about. They were looking for a Jesus. The, the Greeks, the Gentiles, they were looking for a Jesus that they could kind of put in a box. They could define him. They could tell you how, how he should have come, how he should have saved people, what's really wrong with people. And when Jesus came as God in the flesh, when he performed miracles, the greatest of miracles being that he defeated death, hell, and the grave and walked out of the grave, this was just silly to them. There is no way that that happened. And yet, that's who our Jesus is, isn't it? Now, let me take a step back for a second, okay? What Paul's not telling you is, well, you can never ask any questions about Jesus and why can you actually trust this? Like wisdom and, and things like that, just put it out of the door. Just believe this kind of superstition. Now, I mean, like throughout all of the Psalms, there's questions constantly about God and to God. No, like, in fact, if you're asking questions or if you're ever curious about things, like that's a good thing. You should ask those questions. This is a safe place to ask those things. And just to give you maybe some resources here, some books that have been super helpful for me. Uh, one is uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Another one is The Reason for God by Timothy Keller. Both are great books, great resources to maybe just as a starting point to kind of help answer some questions you may have. But Paul is saying here there's two different ways to kind of look for Jesus, but what the truth is, we have to look at and actually preach the real gospel, not the one of the Jews and the Greeks at the time, but rather the true gospel of Jesus in my place. And this foolish message, this foolish message, which is the power of God, what he's going to tell us next is this foolish message is actually for foolish people. Check out verse 24. But to those who are being called, or excuse me, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, both kinds of people who are looking for different Jesuses, any kind of person, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The answer to those is the gospel. That's what they actually need. <laughs> for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God, well, it's stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Remember back, Christians, remember back before you were saved. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that aren't, to bring to nothing the things that are. You know, when I went to uh, high school, I, I went to high school at Tuscola High School. That's in Waynesville, North Carolina. I, um, I just to be honest, like I, I did pretty well in high school. Got pretty good grades. Did pretty well in sports. Was a pretty popular guy. And so what I thought when I went to college, I thought I'd be like a big dog on campus. Be one of the smartest guys, one of the best looking guys, one of the most talented guys. And then I showed up and man, like that was not the case. <laughs> like uh, literally blown out of the water in every category. There was someone smarter than me. There was someone better looking than me. Thankfully, I married one of them. Uh, there were people more talented than me. Like the list goes on and on. <laughs> and so like it showed me and it helped me realize like, Man, I ain't that cool. Like, I ain't that smart. I'm not that good looking. And like, neither are you, right? I mean, like, there's always someone smarter or better looking or whatever, right? But Paul's point is not that, like, think down on yourself. You're not, you're not any good. You're not worth anything. That's, that's not Paul's point here. Paul's point is, remember who you were before Christ. In fact, it's kind of what Jesus talked about when he's talking to the rich young ruler. You guys heard about him two weeks ago, didn't you? that this rich, rich young man is turned away after he is told to sell everything he has. And, and Jesus, is, after talking to his disciples, says, well, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved, to, be, to enter the kingdom of God. What Jesus was saying is what Paul's saying here. It's impossible. Impossible for a rich man, for any man, to be saved. You can't do nothing to save yourself. That we as foolish sinners, again, who have committed cosmic treason against God, can do nothing to save ourselves. But this foolish gospel saves a foolish people. That there's nothing we can do to earn it, but Jesus did the work for us. Friends, that's good news, right? Like that, That's relieving today, isn't it? And Paul tells us something about it that when you realize that there's nothing you could do, verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He's saying, you have nothing to brag about. You didn't do nothing. All you did was bring the sin to the table, and Jesus saved you. Jesus is the one we can brag about, not ourselves. Verse 30, because of him, because of Jesus' work in your place, you are in Christ Jesus. That's a really important word there, word, phrase. Maybe even circle that. You are in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Now, what Paul just said is this. Because of the gospel, you are now united with Christ. You are now in him. You are in him. He is in you. Maybe to put it more simply, we are literally centered on Jesus. That's what we are now. Everything about our world revolves around him. It's from him that everything flows out. Jesus touches every square inch of our lives. And in light of that, in light of this gospel, we have, given, we have been given three things that Paul lists here. He says righteousness, that before Christ we were sinners, but because of Jesus, we have been given his perfection. We are now right with God as if we never sinned because of what Jesus has given to us. But not just that, and sanctification. It's just a big word of this, the process of being made more and more holy. The process of being made more and more like Jesus. That because of Jesus, we are being made more like God. And not just that. Redemption. 
That again, as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, that without Christ, before Christ, before we are in Christ, that we are slaves of sin. And we can't do anything but to sin. But Jesus, redeemed, purchased us out of that slavery and has now bought us. And we are now His. We are now in Him. We are now centered on Him. We are now His brothers and sisters in Christ. We are now co-heirs with Him. We are now adopted by God the Father as a son or daughter. Like, what that means is we're now part of a family of Christ. And so just practically here, as we're thinking about, well, if Christians are centered on the gospel, if that's really what Paul is driving towards here, well, how in the world can I center my life on the gospel? And I think Paul has given us a clue here. That if we are now brought into Christ together, if we are now a family of Christ, it's through this family that we continue to center our lives on Jesus. Now, friends, if you ever wondered, like, why we do what we're doing right now, like why we meet on Sunday mornings, well, it's to center our lives on Jesus, on the gospel. That's why we sing the gospel. That's why we read the gospel. That's why we proclaim and hear the gospel preached. That's why when you have communion and baptism, that's why you see the gospel made visible. We need this gospel constantly, and so we gather together as the saints to be able to do that. But not just on Sunday mornings, you know. Like, that's why we, have, we live in community with one another. That's why you guys even have what's called a community group on Wednesday night. To be able to, because we're kind of thick-headed, right? And again, we, are, we have these idle factory hearts that are trying to pull us away constantly from the gospel. So we need, we need help as the brothers and sisters in Christ, to remind each other of what the gospel is. We need help reminding each other of, hey, this is the gospel. This is how you apply the gospel. Hey, this is how you're steering away. Let me help you. Let me help you. Let me show you how to repent. Let me, let me walk with you in that. And not just that, but as we live our lives just daily, that we study this word and we look for Jesus throughout it. We look to see, how can I center my lives? Jesus, help me. My, my heart is trying to pull me away. Help pull me back to you. Help me be centered on you. And friends, as we do that, there is a result that happens 100% of the time. That if you are truly centered on the gospel, that you can't help but to just brag about Jesus. In fact, as, as we wrap up, check out verse 31. Paul says this, So that, as it is written, quoting the Old Testament here, let the one who boasts, who brags, brag in the Lord. Paul's telling us something that you and I know already. That whatever is most important to you, whatever you're centered on, is what you're going to talk about the most. Like, in fact, if you hang out with me long enough, I'm going to start talking about the Carolina Panthers. It's just going to happen, okay? And so, and it's kind of weird because they're like the most on and off again team like of all time. So they lost last week, so they probably got a good shot today is what that means. But like whatever is important to you, if I talk to you long enough, what would I maybe think or what would, what would you maybe, what would your heart show me is really like most important to you, is like the center, the core of who you are that really informs everything about your life? What would it be? What would it be? Would it be even something great? Like, like say your family, your spouse, your kids? Would, would it be your work? Would it be something like a hobby or entertainment, like, say, sports or whatever? And those things aren't bad. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm asking you is, what would your heart show is really the center of your life? 
what do you naturally brag about? Is it your spouse? Or is it Jesus? Is it your kids? Or is it Jesus? Is it your work? Or your sports or entertainment? Or is it Jesus? Because if it is Jesus, if the gospel really is the center of your life, then you can't help but to brag about it. Paul's going to tell us super briefly how we can practically do that. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Paul, he's going to remind them. He says, remember, I was with you for a year and a half. I've been gone for a while, but let me write to you and remind you of something. And I, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come to you proclaiming the testimony of God, again, the salvation, excuse me, the gospel, Jesus in my place. I didn't proclaim the gospel with lofty speech or wisdom. And I didn't come with the, the best presentation, the most sleek style. No, no, no. Verse 2, for I, did, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In fact, if, that's a great verse to memorize if you haven't already. For I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul says this, man, when I came, I didn't do what everyone else was doing. I just preached the gospel. Now, Paul doesn't mean that when he just preaches the gospel that he's just saying, Jesus, live the life you couldn't live, died the death you deserved, he was raised again, repent and believe. If that's what it was, then this sermon would have been over a long time ago, which, I don't know, maybe you would have been for that, but we're almost done. Hang on. So what, but what it does mean is this. Paul came in and preached the gospel to every area of life, that everything was centered on this gospel message, that, again, our marriage was informed by Christ's love for the church, that our generosity, as, as Brittany just mentioned earlier, that our generosity is not informed by just giving or being part of a country club or whatever. No, it's informed by the fact that Jesus gave everything to us, how we raise our children. It's not informed by our children's extracurricular activities. That doesn't drive how we raise our kids. No, what drives to how we raise our kids is that our kids are our primary mission field, and we view them as disciples that, and future disciples. How we view our work is not just working to Friday, not just working for vacation, not just working for the next paycheck, but rather that now because you're in Christ, you're a kingdom citizen. You're here to bring order to the chaos. You're here to be a missionary there in your workplace and to be excellent and glorify God in your work. And it goes on and on. There's nothing this gospel doesn't touch. And that's what Paul was preaching for a year and a half, showing how the gospel touches everything. And so, friends, if you, if you want to know, like, what is good Christian preaching? Maybe you're looking for a church, for example. You want to know what kind of church you should look for? You should look for a church where the Bible is open and Jesus is the hero. Because that's what Christian preaching is. Just like real simply, the Bible is open and Jesus is the hero. And if it's not that, then it's not Christian preaching. Now, that's not really what Christian preaching typically, in, at least in popular level, looks like that much, is it? Like, I remember this past Easter, what, maybe six months ago or so, uh, my wife, Kristen, and I, then I think maybe a day or two afterwards, we're chilling after work, sitting on the couch, and Kristen is uh, just scrolling through Facebook. She says, Daniel, you got to look at this. And there was this church out west. I, I don't remember the name, so don't worry about asking me later. I don't know. But this church, it said, uh, it had this ad, and it kind of caught our attention. And so we wanted to look at it. It was a church saying, hey, check out our Easter experience from this past Sunday. So we looked at it. It's Easter, right? So what do you expect on Easter? I don't know. Maybe they start their service with a prayer. 
Maybe they start by saying, Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. Something like that, right? Maybe a strum, and they sing a song about Jesus. But no. What happens was, there was this dude that looked way cooler than me, and he's like, hey, we're in the green room about to start the service. I'm like, man, what is going on? Like, where can we get these cool people at my church? That's what I'm wondering. But then the service keeps going. And as it just drives forwards, it gets to the pinnacle of what everything was driving forward. It was what the ad was all about, what they were pushing for. Literally, if they were out west and we're in North Carolina paying thousands of dollars for people to see, it drives to this moment where suddenly the lights go down. It's quiet. No one can see anything. And then out of the corner, this spotlight shines. And I kid you not, I kid you not, an exact replica of the Jurassic Park SUV drives onto the stage like they might have paid for the actual thing. And then this turkey who looks exactly like Chris Pratt from Jurassic World comes out and he's talking and doing stuff. And I'm like, where are they getting these cool people? Like my church is lame. And, and so I'm just like wondering what's going on. And then this music, this loud like cymbals start clanging and things start going crazy. And then these like life-size dinosaur costumes come out and these dudes are running around the stage and they're like pushing this new sermon series they're going to have about morals that you can find from, from like the Bible and it, it, through, uh, through movies. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? Like, let me just put it for you real, like simply. If your preaching needs dinosaurs, <laughs> then you probably ain't doing it right. Like, something interesting, though, as we're wrapping up. You know, preaching... In the Bible, it's translated from about 33 different words in the Greek. And why that matters is this. It's a bunch of different words, and they're translated to mean things like preaching, proclaiming, uh, heralding, bragging, sharing. You want to know what the vast majority of them aren't talking about? This moment right now. Now, for sure, they are. That's why, that's why this is a mark of a healthy biblical gospel preaching church. But most of them are just simply this. Ordinary people living ordinary lives, but with gospel intentionality. Just simply you and me taking the gospel where we go and wherever our feet take us, whether that's to work or home or the gym or the store, and we take the gospel with us. That we simply brag about what Jesus has done, what he is doing in us. That's really all it is. And friends, this again, this is, this is a sign, this is a proof of do you truly know Jesus? Are you truly centered on him? Because we can't help to talk about what Jesus is doing in us. But you might say, well, Daniel, but man, I, I got some fears, man. Like, I'm afraid. Me too. And so did Paul, apparently. He says, and when I was with you, verse 3, in, I was in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And so there's two fears that I have, and I think you might have them too at times. The first one that I have is, well, what if they think my beliefs are dumb? Like, what if they think what I think is stupid? What if they think I'm stupid for believing that? Well, didn't Paul just have something to say about that? He says that if you're really bragging about the real Jesus, if you're really preaching the biblical gospel. And what is the gospel? It's Jesus in my place. That if that's what you're sharing, and they think you and what you believe is dumb, well, that means you got it right. 
Like that means you did the right thing. That means you were faithful to preach the gospel to men and women who were perishing. But there's a second fear, and I think it's even more relevant. Like, I think this one, it crosses my mind every single time. Like, what if I can't answer all their questions, though, man? What if they ask me a question about this or that? What if they ask me a question about the Bible, about Jesus, about the gospel, and I just don't know the answer? Well, Paul, as we wrap up, is going to say something about that. Verse 4. And my speech and my message, the gospel, it, it was not in plausible words of wisdom. He says, guys, remember, I didn't come and give you the best presentation with dinosaurs. I didn't answer every possible question that could ever be asked. I just preached the gospel. And it was in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That as Christians, we are centered on this gospel. And it is from Jesus, from the Spirit of Christ, from God through the Holy Spirit, that he comes and he is the one who opens ears, that opens eyes to be able to see the gospel. That listen, all the time, all the time, salvation is a miracle. Every single time. That there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation and there's nothing we can do to save someone else. So friends, rest in this gospel this weak and foolish gospel. But that is the power of God. And as we do that, verse 5, it's so that your faith might not rest, not, might not be centered in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, in the gospel itself. So friends, are you centered on the gospel what we shouldn't take away is is that well i need to try harder i need to start sharing my faith more because that's not what's going to center us on the gospel because there's nothing you did to save yourself there's nothing you can do to continue to save yourself and there's nothing you can do to one day save yourself now we have a part in this for sure it's because, it's because the Holy Spirit awakens us that we can repent and believe. It's because of his miracle that we can. Friends, we need one another. We need to study scripture. We need to be in the word and seeing and asking the Holy Spirit to show us where we are not centered on this gospel. And as we do, we will continue to take this gospel out on mission as we brag about what our Lord has done, brag about Jesus, who is the center of our lives. And that's how Morganton will change. That's how people in this community will change. That's how this world will change. That's why you're here today. Because someone bragged about Jesus to you. So in a moment, we're going to pray. We're going to sing a song, and we'll have an opportunity for you to be able to respond. If you're here today and you realize, I've never actually trusted in the real gospel. I've never repented of my sin, turned from my sin, and trusted in Jesus alone. Well, friends, there will be here, people here to talk to you that would love to tell you more about this Jesus. And maybe you're here, and I think this is most of us that are in Christ, who are Christians, but have a time of reflection. Am I centered on the gospel? 
and repent where you need. And we do that because we're centered on the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your work on the cross. It is the power of God. And it is through that and that alone that we are saved. I pray that through the preaching of your gospel, as you have done for thousands of years, that you would continue to do a work of salvation, that you would do that even here in our midst today. In Jesus' name. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is, um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. But I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, it comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for.
So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we are we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.